I want to continue to discuss the sacred name today. I'm going to title this sermon, His Name is Important. Yesterday we talked about hallowed be what name. We covered a lot of things in yesterday's message. And today we're going to talk about His Name is Important. This picture up here on the screen is a picture of a, a stained glass window at a church in France, I believe. A stained glass window at a church in France. And you see it's got the yud hey wal hey there, or transliterated as we learned last night. That's the Y-H-W-H, and that is our Creator's name. The name that sometimes I like to say that He gave Himself. I don't know that that's completely accurate, but that's been His name throughout all eternity. And we'll see how that ties in with His character here in just a second. Now, we've learned yesterday that God, Lord, and Jehovah are not correct transliterations of our Creator's name into English. And that there's approximately 7,000 times in the Hebrew Old Testament that these three substitutions, God, Lord, and Jehovah, should not be found. I find it interesting that in the King James Version of the Bible, the name Jehovah is placed in there about seven times. I wonder why they chose those seven times or how they chose those seven times. I don't have a clue. But that's not our Creator's name. We learned that yesterday. Nor is God and Lord our Creator's name. Those are titles. Those are generic names, we might say. Titles that can be given to a multiplicity of mighty ones that different people serve, like Dagon and Sukkoth Benoth we talked about in the last message. More correctly, we also learned that the four Hebrew letters up here at the top right-hand corner of the screen, the yud heh wal heh these four Hebrew letters are transliterated into English as Y-H-W-H, I want to make a note, and we'll talk more about this when I teach on the pronunciation of the name. I want to note that this is not the only way to transliterate the divine name into English. Not the only way. We'll see that uh, the reason that is is because these four letters are not only consonants in the Hebrew language, but they're also vowels. And we'll see that anciently a lot of people transliterated our Creator's name from Hebrew into Greek, and that you can do that by strictly using vowels. And therefore, you don't need any inserted vowels because the vowels are there. We also learned that some Bible translations follow a Jewish tradition of not speaking the name, while others defy this tradition and use the name in the places where the Creator inspired it to be. We talked a little bit about Mark 7 and Matthew 15, where we know that our Lord tells us that we're not supposed to follow traditions that violate the commandments of Yahweh. Amen? Now, there's some traditions that we have, family traditions, that may be perfectly fine. But any time a tradition, one of two things, any time a tradition violates a commandment, it's wrong. And any time a tradition is exalted to the status of a commandment, that's wrong too. All right? And so, in Matthew 15, remember the, the Korban rule that the Pharisees had concocted. Uh, the law said that they were supposed to honor their father and their mother. And we know that that is specifically talking about that when your parents get elderly, you're supposed to take care of them and wait on them just like they did for you when you were a child. Well, instead of the Pharisees taking care of their parents, what they did was they dedicated all of their belongings, all of their substance to the temple. And so they said, well, we got it dedicated to the temple, so that exempts us 
from having to keep the fifth commandment. And Yeshua said, no, you violated the commandment through your tradition. Well, that's exactly what this is. This is a violation of, we're going to see today, the third commandment. The third commandment is violated when we use a substitute or false names and titles in place of our Creator's name. And that's what makes it so important because it is a violation of one of the top ten commandments in Scripture. Before we get to the third commandment, let's ask ourselves, what does YHWH or Yahweh mean? We transliterated his name last night from Hebrew to English. But what does that name mean? There's a translation of his name. All right? We learn this from Exodus 3, 13 through 15, HCSB. It says this. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers hath sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Some Bibles might say, I am that I am. Some might say, I will be what I will be. And technically, none of those are wrong. It can be translated in various ways. Probably the best way would be, I will be what I will be. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, or I will be, hath sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Now, there's a couple things about this passage I won't get into today. Some people have objected to the sacred name by saying that it was not known prior to the time of Moses. And that's just not accurate. But that's not what the message is about today. So you might be wondering, well, if the name was already known before Moses, then why did Moses ask him, what do I tell the Israelites your name is? Well, we'll get to that at a later time. So maybe that will give you something to look forward to. But what this passage does is not only tell us what God's name is, that is, his name is Yahweh, but it also tells us the meaning of his name, the translation of his name. And that is in I am who I am. Or in Hebrew, uh, that's properly pronounced Echyeh, Asher, Echyeh. And it means I will be what I will be. In other words, I'll do anything that I want to do, and I'll be anything that I want to be. And he's reassuring Moses that when you go down to Egypt, you just tell them, I will be, have sent you. That's the translation of my name. That's not my name, but that's what my name means. Have you ever had anybody tell you that God's name is I am that I am? Or you watch a lot of children's Bible videos? I remember the latest movie that came out. That's been a while, I guess. Prince of Egypt came out in the theaters. And when the character that was portraying Moses, he was there at the burning bush. And the, the voice came out of the bush and said, I am. You know, as though that's God's name. That's not God's name. That's the meaning or the translation of God's name. All right? So God's name is in verse 15, Yahweh, this is my name forever. But the meaning of his name is I am who I am or I will be what I will be. So literally when we, when we pack everything into those four letters and we understand what it means, we could translate his name as the eternal self-existent one that causes to be. That's a translation or a meaning of Yahweh's name. And so here we see another reason why it's very important that we use his name is because his name means exactly who he is. Do you see that? Every time you say Yahweh, you utter the name Yahweh, you're calling upon the one that is eternal, the one that is self-existent, the one that does what he wants to, the one that is what he wants to be. 
The one that will be there for us in our times of trouble. That's what we're saying when we say the Tetragrammaton, which is a fancy word that means a four-lettered name. The third commandment in the Ten Commandments says this in the King James Version, Thou shalt not take the name of Yahweh thy God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Exodus 20, verse 7. Most of our Bibles will say, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's not the third commandment. The third commandment is, Don't take the name of Yahweh thy God in vain. Now, a lot of people don't recognize this, but the same Hebrew word translated vain in Exodus 20 and verse 7 is translated false in Deuteronomy 5 verse 20 where it says, Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. That is the Hebrew word shav. Two English translations, one Hebrew word. Thou shalt not take the name of Yahweh thy God in vain. Could be translated you, you should not take it falsely because it's translated false in Deuteronomy 5, verse 20. Now, some meanings of the word shab are emptiness, vanity, falsehood, nothingness, emptiness of speech, lying, worthlessness of conduct, and uselessness. And I got that from the HCSB Study Bible lexicon. These are various definitions of that Hebrew word shab, which is translated vain and false. Now, I believe, based on my studies of the third commandment, that the primary violation of the third commandment has to do with taking of oaths. In the scriptures, Yahweh tells us that we perform our oaths in his name. And if an Israelite took an oath or made a vow in the name of Yahweh and then violated that oath and that vow, what he did was he took Yahweh's name in vain. He spoke Yahweh's name and he made a promise, but he didn't keep it. Therefore, he brought it to naught. I think that's the primary meaning of how to violate the third commandment. But here is one of many secondary meanings. Another way that we violate the third commandment is when we substitute or use a false, spurious title or name in place of the Creator's given name. Look at the definitions. Uselessness, emptiness, falsehood, nothingness. Well, every time that Yahweh's name was placed in the Scriptures by Yahweh Himself, when we come across that, especially when we know that it's supposed to be Yahweh, but yet we insist upon saying Lord, God, Jehovah, or any other spurious name, what we do is we bring his name to nothingness. It's a uselessness. See, it's, a, it's something that's not worth anything. Do you see that? That's a violation of the third commandment. That's why it's so important to incorporate the name Yahweh where it belongs in the scriptures and to use it in our worship and in our songs and in our praise because we do not want to bring his name to naught. You see how important that is. This next clip is from the Zondervan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary. It says this under the heading name, Hebrew word Shem, Greek onoma. In Bible times, the notion of name had a significance it does not have today when it is usually an unmeaning personal, personal label. A name was given only by a person in a position of authority, Genesis 2.19, 2 Kings 23.34, and signified that the person named was appointed to a particular position, function, or relationship, Genesis 35.18, 2 Samuel 12.25. In the scriptures, there is the closest possible relationship between a person and his name, the two being practically 
equivalent. So that to remove the name is to extinguish the person. Numbers 27.4, Deuteronomy 7.24. To forget God's name is to depart from him. Jeremiah 23, verse 27. End of that quote from Zondervan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary. What it's saying, and this is definitely to a lesser degree now than back in ancient biblical times, is that names used to mean a lot more. Nowadays, people give names, you know, like they're giving out pennies. But in Bible times, people were named certain names because there was a deep significance to that name. I think it was, was it, uh, who was Benjamin's mother, Tisha? Was it Rachel? Rachel, in the Bible, in Genesis, was Benjamin's mother, and she bore that son while she was dying, I believe. And she wanted to name him Ben-Oni. And the name Ben-Oni meant son of my sorrow. So, in other words, that mother was going to give that child a name that meant something. There was a meaning behind that, right? But then her handmaid said, no, 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 no. Let's name him. I think it was the handmaid or maybe the husband. Was it the husband? The husband, which was Jacob. I'm talking to my Bible scholar here, my wife. <laughs> she remembers a lot better than I do. He said, no, let's name him Benjamin. Benjamin. It means son of my right hand. In other words, that's who he was going to be to Jacob, even though his wife had died. Names had significance. All throughout the Bible, names had significance, much more than they do today. There's a reason behind names. And to remove the name, as this dictionary says, is to extinguish the person. To forget God's name is to depart from him. Jeremiah 23, 26, and 27, King James Version. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name. Stop right there for a second. Any preacher that calls himself a preacher or a teacher or a prophet or an apostle or whatever, an evangelist, doesn't matter what he calls himself, if his ministry doesn't memorialize the name of the Creator, what he's doing is he's thinking to cause the people to forget God's name. And let me tell you, the excuses are a dime a dozen. Everybody will come up with excuse after excuse after excuse to not use the Creator's name. From we don't know how to pronounce it, to he's got many names, to I don't speak Hebrew, to that's not his English name, etc. You just line them up, their excuse after excuse, and one by one they can be shot down or cut in half by the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Yahweh. Because Yahweh put his name in there, he's not going to give us his name, and then later on tell us, well, it doesn't really matter, it doesn't make a difference anymore. I know Abraham and Moses and all my prophets, they used it, but it doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to worry about that, no. He's still the same. He, does, he has not changed. His character has not changed, and that is still his name today. And we should not be supporting or intimately associating with ministers that cause the church people to forget his name. It goes on to say, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor. And I have to stop right here. And this, I, I don't have my, this in my notes. But I have to stop right here because I just talked to a man the other day that claimed to have a vision and a dream. And in the vision and the dream, he said that the Creator told him, my name is the Lord God. He said he told me to call him Lord God, Father, and Elohim. I said, Elohim? He said, no, he didn't say Elohim. 
He said, Elohim. What does this text say? Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor. If we, me, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. If an angel of light shows up at your house and tells you, you know what? I know you just listened to Brother Matthew teach from the Scriptures that Yahweh is the name of the Creator, but that's not His name. His name is really the Lord God. It doesn't matter what dream somebody claims to have or what vision somebody claims to have. They need to speak in accordance with the Word of Yahweh. Yahweh is not going to show anybody anything today that contradicts His previous written revelation. Somebody said, the Holy Spirit showed me that. Well, the same Holy Spirit that you claim showed you something was the Holy Spirit that inspired the Scriptures. He's not going to contradict Himself. It goes on to say at the end, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal, or Baal, probably. So here, the Israelite fathers had forgotten Yahweh's name for Baal. And I think predominantly what this means in the original context is that they had stopped worshiping and serving Yahweh and they had went and started worshiping and serving Baal, which was the chief male god in the pantheon of gods at that time. Baal was the chief male god. Ashtoreth was the chief feminine or female goddess. However, I find it interesting that the word Baal, it's not, it's not a negative word in and of itself. I can show you in the book of Genesis where when Sarah called Abraham Lord, that Hebrew word is Baal. She actually called Abraham Baal. And that's because Baal originally was just a word that meant master, owner, lord, boss. But what happened was pagan people used that Hebrew word and applied it to their god because he was a hierarchy or their boss or their lord or their master. But Baal is a synonym for the word lord. It is. And I think that it's interesting that the predominant substitute title for Yahweh's name is none other than Lord. That's the predominant title. Over 6,500 times, I believe, or maybe 6,400 times, the word Lord, which is a synonym for Baal, is used as a replacement for our Creator's given name, Yahweh. I think that that ties in with Jeremiah 23, 26 through 27. Now, all I'm going to do now for the remainder of this sermon is I'm going to show you the scriptural emphasis because I really believe that all a person has to do, once they understand proper transliteration, all they need to do is go back and just reread the Bible with the name inserted, the name of Yahweh inserted where it belongs over 7,000 times. And I think when they reread the Bible with the proper name of the Creator inserted, they will see that beyond any shadow of a doubt, His name is important. It is. So let's just go over some of these scriptures. I might interject a few thoughts as we go. Exodus 34:14, New American Standard Bible. For you shall not worship any other God, for Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. This passage tells us that He's jealous for His name. He doesn't want you to call Him something that He didn't call Himself, and especially proclaim it to be His name. Deuteronomy 28:58, HCSB. All of these will be HCSB unless I say otherwise. If you are not careful to obey all the words of this law, which are written in this scroll, by fearing this glorious and awesome name, Yahweh your God, 
Here he calls it the glorious name, the awesome name. Second Samuel 7.26 So that your name will be exalted forever when it is said, Yahweh of hosts is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you. This text teaches us that his name, Yahweh, is to be exalted forever. Nehemiah 9 verse 5. Then the Levites said, Stand up, praise Yahweh your God. From everlasting to everlasting, praise your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. Psalm 86 verse 11. Teach me your way, Yahweh, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. We talked about the fear of Yahweh earlier in the testimony service. This text says that the psalmist prayed for an undivided mind. He said, clear my thoughts. Let my mind be on you so that I can fear your name. Psalm 116 verse 13 teaches us that the name of Yahweh is tied into salvation. I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of Yahweh. Brothers and sisters, as I said last night, how can you call on the name of yud heh if you don't speak it? How can you call on it? Psalm 79, verse 6. Listen to this. Pour out your wrath on the nations that don't acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that don't call on your name. Do you see the importance here just by reading the Scriptures? Psalm 83, verse 18. May they know that you alone, whose name is Yahweh, are the Most High over all the earth. Isaiah 52, verse 6. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, they will know on that day that I am he who says, here I am. This is Yahweh speaking here through his prophet about his Israel people. And he says, if you're his people, you will know his name. And I believe this is prophetic and is coming to pass as a restoration process in the day in which we live probably for the past 50 or so years predominantly. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Psalm 113, verse 3, from the rising of the sun to its setting, let the name of Yahweh be praised. Micah 6, verse 9, King James Version, Yahweh's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Psalm 91, verse 14, because he is lovingly devoted to me, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. See, brothers and sisters, I think sometimes because, at least I'll speak for myself, I've known the truth of Yahweh's name for a long period of time. I think I sometimes take it for granted. I do. I take it for granted because it it, it seems just normal to me. But I need to recognize it's glorious. It's awesome. He protects me because I know his name. Hallelujah. Psalm 91 verse 14. Malachi three sixteen through 17. This is one of my favorites. It says, at that time, those who feared Yahweh spoke to one another. Yahweh took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says Yahweh of hosts, a special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're doing right now. We're thinking upon Yahweh. We're thinking upon His name right now. Yahweh is taking notice right now. He took notice last night when we thought upon His name. He takes notice every time we think upon His name. And what does He do? 
a book of remembrance is written for those that fear Him and that meditate upon His name. That's a precious verse. New Testament, Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore, through Him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of our lips that confess His name. The word confess means to utter, to speak, to invoke. We confess His name from the fruit of our lips. That's how we continually offer up that sacrifice of praise. Revelation 11, verse 18. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great, and the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. The reward at the resurrection of the just and the unjust, which is yet future, the reward will be given to those who fear the name of the Creator. This passage is talking about the Father, if you read up a little bit before in Revelation 11. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and there on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. The Lamb is representative of Mashiach, Messiah. And with Him were 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I believe, brothers and sisters, based upon other passages and texts in Scripture, that His name and His Father's name can only be the name of Yahweh. I don't believe that that's a reference to the name of Yeshua or Yahshua or however you want to say it, but only to the name of Yahweh. Here we have a text of Scripture that is very, very powerful. Joel 2.32, this is one you need to memorize. It says this, Then everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. For there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as Yahweh promised, among the survivors Yahweh calls. That's Joel 2.32. And the reason this passage is so significant is because it's a prophecy that refers to a time period called the last days. The last days time period began, at least, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And a portion of this prophecy from Joel, or Yoel, chapter 2, was given by the apostle Peter as he stood there with the other 11 apostles on that feast day that they were still keeping. And he proclaimed salvation to the men of Israel that had crucified Yeshua the Messiah. This is what Peter said in Acts 2, 16 and 21. He said this, This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. You can look that up. So he's telling you, look, I'm pulling from the prophet. Do you see how Peter didn't appeal to a dream he had or a vision that he had or something that the, the father just spoke to him out of thin air? No, he said, look, I'm not telling you anything new. This is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. And it doesn't just have reference to the name. It has reference to the name. But it also has reference to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in the, the foreign languages that they never learned. And how Joel said, beginning at Joel 2.28, Yahweh said through Joel, In the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will uh, dream dreams. And your young men will, will see visions and things like this. But not contradictory to the Word. Not contradictory to the Torah. And that's why Peter assured him. He says, look, we're not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it's but 9 o'clock in the morning. This is that which Joel spoke about. It's being fulfilled, at least in part, at this time. He goes on in verse 21 and Peter quotes Joel 2.32a directly in Acts 2.21.
And he quotes it like this, Then everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. How do we know that Peter said that? The reason we know it is because Joel said it. That's how Peter didn't have any authority to go against what the prophet of Yahweh had already spoken. So he didn't say, as most Bibles say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's not what Peter said. He used the name Yahweh. And then Paul quoted it, Joel 2.32, in Romans 10.12 and 13. He says this, For there is no distinction between the Judahite, that is the southern house of Judah, and the Greek or Gentile, I believe there is a reference to the ten northern tribe house of Israel. It says, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. And in all probability, that word Lord there is probably a title. Kyrios in the Greek. Got no problem with titles where they belong. It means master, boss, owner, etc. It goes on in verse 13 of Romans 10 to say this, for everyone who calls on the name of, not the Lord, on the name of Yahweh, will be saved or will be delivered. Another direct quotation from Joel 2.32. Direct. Now, I don't have this next one up on my screen, but I want to just share something with you as I close because I don't just believe that Peter quoted Joel 2.32. I don't just believe that Paul quoted Joel 2.32, but I believe there was another man that quoted Joel 2.32, and he didn't quote it verbatim, but he quoted the gist of it. And a lot of times we see the Messiah doing this. He wouldn't quote directly from the Hebrew text. He wouldn't even quote directly from the Septuagint. But he would quote a mixture of the two and carry the meaning across. And there's a man by the name of Ananias, or Hananiah, in Acts chapter 22. He was a devout man, a Judahite, one that kept the law of Yahweh. He was the man that Saul of Tarsus was sent to when he was blind for three days after being blinded by Yeshua the Messiah from heaven by a great light. Brother Arnold mentioned last night, the light blinded him. And he was sent to Hananiah. And Hananiah laid his hands upon Saul. He said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. Saul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin. This time he didn't know the Messiah. He had not submitted to baptism, proper baptism, new covenant baptism. And in Acts 22 and 16, after Saul received his sight, Ananias looked at him and he said, And now why do you tarry? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. Then he says at the end, calling on his name. That right there is not a direct quote, but it's getting the gist of Joel 2.32. And I have a hard time believing Ananias being a devout Judahite man did not recognize that he was pulling from Joel 2, verse 32. The same passage that Peter pulled from in Acts 2.21, Paul pulled from in Romans 10.13. Brothers and sisters, his name is important. All one has to do is read the Bible and insert the name Yahweh where he inspired it to be. And I guarantee you, if you're honest with yourself, you will not come away and say, Brother Matthew, I don't think it's that important. I guarantee you, you won't. And look, if Yahweh inspired his name to be in the scriptures, then no man, whoever he is, wherever he comes from, is inspired to take it out. No man. Next week, Yahweh's will, we're going to learn about the origin. Where did this come from? How did this all begin, Brother Matthew? I want to know when this started, the removal of Yahweh's name. 
We'll talk about that next week, and I think you'll enjoy it. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. I'm thankful for these brothers and sisters and children here, Father Yahweh. Keep us safe as we go on our way, Father Yahweh. And we're so thankful for the good Sabbath and new moon that you gave us the past couple of days. Father, as we go out to the world for the six working days, may we keep you at the center of our life and recognize, Father Yahweh, that you are our king, our judge, and our lawgiver. Yahweh, thank you for your name. Thank you for your name, Father. Let the prophecy come true. Your people shall know your name. We thank you for that today. Through your son we pray. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.